please stay standing. I'm so excited. Um, we're going to read the word. I think that it's important that as we stand and read the word, we're able to actually reverence what God is saying, right? There are some things in your life that you shouldn't do sitting down. There are some things you should do standing up on your two feet, right? So uh, we're in part three of the sermon series called Losing My Religion. And how many of you, like, your religion's, like, out of here? Like, it, it's kind of, like, clinging on. It's wheezing. <gasps> yeah, okay, we're going to kill it today. It's, this is going to be the final blow. Here we go. Let's jump right into the word. I'm going to give you my title, and then we're going to go to work. If you're ready to go to work, clap once. Ooh, they ready? Let's go. Daniel 3, 19 to 21. It says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became what? Distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be what? Heated seven times hotter than usual. Write this down. Seven is the perfect number. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to that here in the word. That it be heated seven times hotter than what? Usual. Then what? He ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they threw them into what? The blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. I want you to look at your neighbor, and, and I want you to say my title. I want you to look, look, look at him now. Look at him now. And scream at them, say, the middle. You may take your seats. Let me take your seats. We're in part three of the sermon series, and listen, I feel gassed up this morning. I, I can't tell you, um, Pastor and myself, we, we, uh, he's been doing it for much longer, but there's a process to what we teach you. There's, there's a process of how these weeks um, progress. I want to make sure that you understand that when it comes to the word of God, we're not just like throwing stuff together randomly because it sounds good or that it will make you move. But the point of every single one of these um, a sermon series is for you to start in the first sermon, and by the time that you get to the end of it, you actually have a blueprint for whatever the subject is, right? So I want to make sure that today, is it okay that I, I, I preach a little bit today? Like, I've been teaching the last couple of weeks, but after today, I just feel like this hump in my back, and I really need to get it out. Um, and I think that through God's word today, we're, we're, going to, we're going to progress today. Can somebody say progress? Because God's not interested in per perfection. He's interested in the small steps that you take towards grace. Look at your neighbor. Say, you ain't perfect. Look at the neighbor behind you. You ain't never going to be perfect. Point at yourself. Say, you ain't never been perfect. Right? So this concept of perfection that is brought to us through religion is absolutely impossible. So let's just, like, break down the standard and the stereotype that if you're better as a person, that God will love you more. That's not how it works. It's not that you do things in order to get God to move. No, no, no. You do things in order to create patterns within yourself. That's the point. The reason why you feel at this organization and at AWC that we're running you ragged with the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, to the point that you're getting tired of it is because at some point in time, what you're learning should become repetitive in your life, right? So every time that you run into a moment where you should be unforgiving, if you're learning and you're becoming progressive, you should be forgiving more than you're holding a grudge, okay, right? So in the moments where you know that, you're, that you have a budget for your family, how many of you guys have some stuff that you need to purchase? Like, you're living in a space that you know is too small for you. You're driving in something that doesn't reflect the glory of God. Okay, y'all too churchy. Like, like, can we be, like, my shoes ain't even the glory. God, you told me who I was. I need some more shoes so that when people look at my feet, they say, God, you know what I'm saying? So you'll begin to save in areas where you used to spend, right? In areas where you used to, like, lose your mind when somebody used to do the three-finger push. How many of y'all know that? Or the face smush. You know what that is? You know? You know? And you about to raise up on somebody, if you're practicing progression, it'll take more steps for you to get to anger. The whole point of the kingdom is to set up standards 
in front of what used to trip you off so that you have multiple checks to stay in grace. You know what I'm saying? A person that gets frustrated really quick doesn't have a standard in their life. Okay. A person that gets frustrated with the small, the small, the small, st- the small stuff. Monday morning, you're going to walk into your office and somebody might have ever so slightly touched your stapler. Now your whole week is messed up. Like, there's supposed to be a level of grace with this thing that we live called life. But if you're living in a religious system, it'll tell you to go with your feelings. However you feel, do that. It'll say certain things like follow your heart. But the word of God says what? That the heart is fickle. Fickle basically means that your heart is like a 17-year-old that likes a girl one day and then they break up and then he likes somebody else and then they break up. Then he sees her at the movies with somebody else and then he, he gets jealous so then he goes into the movies. He doesn't even like the movie, but he wants to see her and try to make her jealous with a girl that he doesn't actually like. Like, you, you, how many of y'all understand where I'm coming from? All you parents looking at your kids like, mm, she don't like you, Joe. She don't like you. But if we live our lives in this system called religion, we will be run ragged. And when God finally calls our number to make creative change in the world, we'll be too tired to actually do it. So the kingdom is supposed to promote life. And today I'm hoping that through the word of God, we can promote some life. Like anybody in the room just want to change? Like I don't want to show up to a place week after week after week after week after week and not change. Like what's the point of going to the gym if nothing changes? Your body might change, but maybe this changes. Maybe this doesn't change, but the way in which you see people change. Look at at somebody and scream, I want to change. Okay, I'm going to hold you to it. I'm going to hold you to it. Let's do it. So my entire life, I have lived it as a guinea pig. You know what a guinea pig is? Um, every program that I was a part of, like, it seemed like the funding got done once I got there. So, like, the books that, and the tools that all the other students had, we didn't get them. They had iPads before I got there. We got pen and paper, right? Um, <laughs> The, the program that I got into at my master's, and I love you, UNO, but like when I got there, the director of, of, of my, the, the study, the one that got me into the program, she retired. So I was like, bro, I'm only in this program because you're here and now you're leaving me? And I had to work, anybody else had to work hard in education? I'm not talking to all you scholars. I'm talking about like I had to study hard to get C's. You know what I'm saying? And now I'm in a master's and you told me to come and now you're leaving me? I was on football teams, and, like, I hated football. I mean, I hated it. I didn't like getting hit. I was the biggest person on the field, but didn't like getting hit. But we'll talk about that later. I hated running. I hated running gassers. They used this thing called the hill. And whenever we mess up, the coach would say the hill. And I messed up a lot. So coach would just be like, there was a specific path on the hill just for me. Like, my foot tread was like, you know what I'm talking about, like, Every time, like every time, Josh will go run the hill. And it was just like, man, you know what? I'm done. I quit. I was a part of this play. And uh, it was Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I was like, I can sing. I kind of like to act. And then we got to like the fourth rehearsal. Somebody said the fourth rehearsal. And they brought out makeup. Now, hold on, Daniel. I thought we were just singing and acting. Why do we have makeup? And the person came in and they were like, hey, we're going to put this on your face. And I went home. In all of these situations, I went home, right? Football, I went home crying. The, the, uh, the acting, I went home crying. My master's program at 26 years old, boohooing like a baby. How many of y'all understand that grace? Like it might, you might be 30, you might be 70 years old, but there's some stuff that will bring you to your knees like a three-year-old crying. You know what I'm talking about? And I always went back home crying, and I would come home and be like, I'm quitting, I'm done. The teacher doesn't like me. The coach hates me. I can't stand this. Like, I don't want to do all of these other things. And my parents never allowed me to quit. 
Never. It didn't matter. There were some situations where, and we proved it, the teacher did hate me. Parents, I want to make sure you know that sometimes when your child... Sometimes when your child says the teacher is lying on them, they are. I'm the spokesperson for the, for, the, for the kid like, what is, I'm getting a whooping for something I didn't do. But they never let me quit. Look at your neighbor and say, don't quit. They didn't allow me to quit even though quitting was justified. They didn't allow me to quit even though like I should have probably quit because in some cases what you are asked to stay in Sometimes it's abuse. You ever stayed at that job a little too long and you're trying to figure out what in the world am I doing? But then at the end of the trial, it seems that because I stayed, God was able to do something on the inside of me because I was obedient to what he asked. Look at your neighbor and say, stay. So when we look at the word of God, it's really interesting because in the book of Daniel, we get to get this understanding that everywhere in the Bible, God asks people to stay in places that they're trying to leave. That's the whole Bible. The whole Bible is God telling people, no, you can't leave it. And then when they try to leave, what does he do? He picks them up and he puts them back in the middle of it all. I want to talk to you today, the person that feels like you're literally in the middle of hell. Like you're in the middle of pressure. You keep communicating with people, and it seems like you're speaking French to people that are deaf. It's just like, what, what is, what, am I speaking another language? Like, I've written it, written it down, I've emailed you, I've texted you, and it seems like you're all over the place. So when we look at the book of Daniel, um, we're looking at uh, uh, the children of Israel are coming out of a period of captivity. Can you say captivity? Now, remember, every time that we teach the word of God, when we're talking about the children of Israel, they're, they're in one of three places, right? They've either been delivered from captivity, they're on their way to captivity, or they are in captivity. It's always one of those three. Like they never have a long period of freedom because they don't know how to follow God's directions. So Daniel is one of these men that God decides to use to teach not just his children, but to teach the entire world a lesson in patience about how to sit in something and not become weary. Because the point of religion has you to pray for things, but the kingdom has you actually go and attack it. So that's what we're going to talk about. So um, uh, uh, Daniel is, is a part of, of this area where the Babylonians have taken over. Remember, what happens in the cycle of the Israelites? They follow God, they have a leader, but then what happens? They start to sin, and then somebody else comes and sits on top of them, and they have to follow their system. At this point in time, Daniel was in a land where the Babylonians have taken over everything. They've changed what they eat, they change what they wear, they change how they move, like everything about what they do. It would be like, um, who, who does Nebraska hate? If Texas A&M came and changed our colors from crimson to maroon. Everybody's like, mm-mm, not happening. That's how they feel in this moment. So Daniel has three friends. Can you say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And the whole book of Daniel is him giving accounts of how every single time that God asks them to do something, God blesses them based off of how quickly they are obedient. It's not about being obedient. It's about how quickly you answer the call. So Daniel and his friends are very wise. I want you to write these down. Daniel and his friends are very wise and skilled. They have been recruited to help the king as advisors and officials. They're very smart. Every time we hear about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we only hear about the fiery furnace. But we do not take account and take time to actually understand that these three boys were actually helping rule Babylon. 
They were people that were Jewish undercover in a system that didn't work. They were people that got their, their code from God, but were working undercover in a system that didn't work. Kind of sounds like who we are calling ourselves to be, which are ambassadors for Christ. Okay, I'm, I'm building something. Is that okay? Somebody say he's building. But the problem with them being in this place of leadership and in power in Babylon is that multiple times during the book of Daniel, the king Nebuchadnezzar comes to the three Hebrew boys and comes to Daniel, and he begins to keep pressuring them to give up their way of life. In Daniel 1, he asks them to change what they eat. In Daniel 2, he asks them to wear certain robes. In Daniel 3, he asks them to begin to forsake God. And it's really interesting because I think the biggest thing that we need to really break down is that it's not so much about the promotion that you have. It's the question of once you get to the top of the mountain, how loud will you be screaming Jesus' name when you get there? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are officials. Somebody say officials. King Nebuchadnezzar, knowing that they worship a different God, has to put them in places of leadership because of their skill. Which means that you cannot just pray for God to place you on top of a mountain that you have not prepared for. I just want to make sure you understand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went to school. They studied. They didn't just know God. They actually took what God gave them in their private prayer and they applied it in, in, in the present. One of the biggest problems with religion is that it will teach you how to prayerfully pray for something in private, but it'll never begin to actually teach you how to perform in public. So we'll have people that have a mean prayer life in their prayer closet, but at the boardroom, we're useless. You can pray heaven down to a fog in your prayer closet, and your prayer closet for some of you is literally like the broom closet. You have to move a Clorox out the way to make a place, right? And the glory of God will come down in that place as you're praying. But you can't actually make things happen for your family in the real world. But if we're looking at this thing called religion, your prayer life shouldn't just be to ask God to come to heaven. I mean, to come to earth. It should be for God to give you the skills that you need so that when you open up that prayer closet, you're just as effective outside of it as you are on your knees. Prayer is absolutely amazing. Prayer is absolutely great, but I think that we've been looking at it the wrong way. Here we go. Point number one. Are you ready? Let's do it. Religion takes you out of the center, and the kingdom places you in the middle. When we look at religion, religion says things like what? Like, like this, like wait on God, because he's common. He's not. It's multiple times in the word. And by this time, the third sermon, you should understand that. The second thing that religion says is that God will do what? He'll handle it. Have you guys ever heard that before? Roll it over on Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. There ain't nothing that we can roll over on him that he's going to do. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is chilling. Religion ends up creating a culture of running away from the problems and hoping that they go away or dissolve. So we can be in our lives asking God, like, why aren't things changing? And God is looking at you and saying, because I built you to attack what you're running away from. Every story that we love in the Bible, how many of them in the Bible ran away? They might initially have ran away, Jonah. Everybody, somebody back there was like, uh, Pastor Jonah was in a fish. I, I get it. But what happened? The fish threw him up. Where? In the middle of the place he was trying to run away from. Maybe the issue with our lives isn't that God isn't good. Maybe it's because everything that you're running away from, you have to kill it. 
maybe in order to get to the next level in your life, that conversation you don't want to have with your mother-in-law, you actually have to have it in order to move on. Maybe that part of unforgiveness that's in your soul, like you're a bitter person because unforgiveness can start to manifest in your health and you can get a hunchback. Do you feel me? It can start manifesting and then you, you looking like Quasimodo because you got all of this hurt and pain on the inside of you. Maybe the sickness that's in our bodies that comes from stress and anxiety isn't because we're working too hard, but because we keep running away from stuff that God keeps trying to send us to. You can't leave your family. I hate them. That's the point of why God keeps sending you to them. If you want to understand the kingdom, look at the top five things that make you upset. That give you anxiety. That almost put you to the point where you're about to lose your religion. And I promise you, those things that you're afraid of, God is literally sitting in the middle of them. We, uh, we were on a flight a couple weeks ago. And we were, we were flying and everything looked good on the ground. You remember, Vanessa? We were on the ground, and everything looked fine. And the captain said, um, when we get up into the air at about 30,000 feet, we're going to have to break through like a storm. And I'm sitting there with my wife, looking out the window like, I don't, I don't see nothing. Uh, it's, it's dark. It was dark outside. And, and nevertheless, we, we, we get up in, into, the, uh, in, into the air, and the, sh- the plane started like, I'm not afraid of flying, but I had a moment where I puckered just a little. I was just like, God, what, what is happening? And the, the pilot said, in order for us to get you to where you want to go, the quickest way, we have to break through this. Okay. Like, if you wanted to take a safer route, it's going to take you longer. You could drive. If you want to take a safer route, it's going to be more expensive. You could Uber. It's probably going to take you about $1,000 Uber in exchanges because that person is going to be like, we need an oil change in Albuquerque. I need new tires in Nevada. You know what I'm saying? But he says, if you want to get to where you want to go quickly, this is what he said. He said, you're going to have to trust me to lead you through the place that you can't see. Because he said, if we stay in the middle long enough, the storm that you think will bring the, the plane down will actually catapult us where we're going. I want to speak a word of encouragement to you this morning. That maybe the reason why you're in the middle of all of the stuff is actually because God has something in a force that's coming that's going to slingshot you further than what you could do in your own power. Maybe all the lightning glory to God. Maybe all the lightning and the smoke and everything else isn't supposed to scare you, but maybe it's the power of God that's about to wind up and explode to send you to where you want to go. But if you step out of the middle of the thing that God has planned for you, you will never be able to go to where you want to go. So the word of God talks about being in the middle a million different times. Let me give you some because we can read the word of God and get really happy and slappy as pastor would say, and we can miss the point. Here we go. Mark 4, the disciples are in the middle of a storm. Jesus is sleeping. He's like, what are y'all doing? Don't y'all have faith? He says, peace be still and everything happens, right? Exodus 16, the Israelites are in the middle of the desert. For 40 years, they walk in in a circle in the middle of something. You might feel like where you are, it's never going to change. But maybe it's not things are going to change. Maybe God is working on your timing. The third thing that happens, Genesis 41, Joseph is in the middle of a famine. There's no food. Seven, de- seven years of good, seven years of bad. Uh, 2 Samuel 11, David is in the middle of his lust. 
the perpetual pattern that men have to deal with. Like we have to figure, we have to figure out what we're going to do with this and what we're going to do with this and what we're going to do with this. So you can be in the, the, the residual pattern of your own sin. Matthew 26, Jesus is in the middle of agony. As he's being crucified, he says, Lord, what is this thing called pain? Job 2, Job is in the middle of sickness. Pastor Joshua, what are you trying to say? Let's go to John 20, 19 to 21. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. And he showed them the piercing in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. They were so excited to see Jesus because they thought, oh, now Jesus is back. Everything is cool. We can go back to sitting in the back seat. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Maybe the point of where you're positioned is that it's actually perfect. Everybody thinks like when, 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 when the word says, and I will send you into all of the world, that it, like you're going to go to Asia, and it's going to be beautiful. And you're going to be sent to Malaysia, and you're going to have a coconut preaching the gospel on the beach, white sandy beaches. But maybe what if the place where God is sending you is right back to the stuff that you're trying to get out of? Because God has equipped you to take care of the issues in that place. Look at your neighbor. Say, if you leave, who's going to save them? Who else could God equip to save your friend group? Who else could God send to your children to be their mom? I can't stand these kids. Yeah, that's because you're perfect for the situation. Point number two, write this down, please. There will always be something or someone demanding your attention from God. The minute you allowed Christ to sit on the throne of your heart and you invited the Holy Spirit in, every single thing that you used to do freely now is fighting for your attention. I want to make sure you understand this. People always say, like, I want to give my heart to Christ. And you know me, Pastor Joshua, what do I say? Are you sure? Because the stuff that you're dibbling and dabbling in that's cute now, once you give your heart to Christ, that stuff's going to come at you like a roaring lion. And you can't run away from the lion for a long period of time. At some point in time, you're going to have to turn, face it, and do what? Somebody say, kill it. Daniel 3 and 3. Let's go. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. Remember, we talked about this during worship month. Thou shalt not worship any other God. So all of a sudden, all of the Jews and any other person, we have a problem because you're asking me to worship something that cannot provide for me. Okay, here we go. So all of these officials came and stood before the statue. Uh, verse number four. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages listen to the king's demand when you hear the sound of the horn flute zither lyre harp pipes and other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship king nebuchadnezzar's gold statue anyone who refuses to obey will what immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace so at the sound of the musical instrument all of the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The enemy has a trick that we have been falling for for millennia. This is what it is. 
If I can wrap my hands around your belief system, I can create whatever reality I want you to believe. I, I don't have to put alcohol in front of you. I don't have to put fornication in front of you. I don't have to put terrorism in front of you. If I can get my hands around what you believe, I can change everything. If I can change what you believe in here, I now have, can open up your third eye, as a lot of people would say, right? Like, whatever. But anyway, I can open up this part of you that makes you believe anything that I put in front of you. And I can make you think that drinking milk from a cow is natural. That's baby cow growth formula. I can make you believe that because you are a vegan and somebody eats meat, that that person is unworthy of God's grace. If I can wrap my hands around your belief system, I won't just make you believe it. I'll make you practice it. Self-destructive attitudes. You know that the cigarette can lead to cancer, but you still light it up every single day. I've made you believe that you needed. Once I get you to practice it, I'll get you to teach other people the sickness that I gave you. So now it's not just about smoking the cigarette. The people in your vicinity are also smoking the cigarette. Oh, is, is that too close to home? Let's go back. Instead of teaching your children to get the degree that actually pushes them towards purpose, you're pushing them to play a sport that they don't like. Well, you need to get a scholarship, but I like to draw. And we will begin this perpetual cycle of creating this belief system in our kids that God can't provide. While going to a church that is teaching them that God can provide. So now we have this religious schizophrenia where we don't even begin to believe that the word of God is true. The point of King Nebuchadnezzar's statue wasn't that it was gold. It was this. If I can get the Jews to worship this, oh, I can get them to do anything. Think about it. If I can get you to worship a statue, something that I've made, oh, yeah, I can get your kids. Oh, yeah, Omaha, I can create the biggest uh, sex trafficking ring during the College World Series, and nobody will say anything, and they'll fund it, most definitely. Oh, can we talk about it? Y'all came to the wrong church. I'm sorry. If I can get my hands around your belief system, I can make you look at things that used to make you vomit, and I can make you adore it. This is the problem with religion is that I will make you fall in love with things that are actually set up to abuse you. So Nebuchadnezzar begins to build this statue to try to prove to the Jews that if your God was mighty and strong, he would have given you something to worship. And they begin to turn their hearts towards something that they can see and forget about a God that they can see. I'm trying to help you this morning. Once you get to the point that you believe it, you'll embrace it. Once you embrace it, you'll teach it. And then once you teach it, you'll reproduce a culture of bondage. The distraction leads you to the place where God is looking for you to be in position. The whole point is that God is, I mean, the, the enemy is trying to distract you from something that God is trying to send you to. 
So when we have this conversation about sin, it's not so much about the sin that's destructive. It's that while you're dibbling and dabbling in that, God can't position you in the place where he wants you to create change. So the conversation about you becoming free isn't that you're a bad person because of what sin you carry in your back pocket because we all got one. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that what God said as I'm sending you into the nations to teach the good news of the kingdom of God, I can't have you doing that and you bowing down to a piece of gold. So you have to, somebody say, choose. Point number three, we're going quick. Life in the kingdom will always require a choice between being praised and being persecuted. You can't have both. That's why the kingdom is, 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 is for some people, is so divisive because they've been, teaching it, they've been teaching it wrong. You will get praise from people, but God will persecute you. Or would you rather be persecuted by man and have God be praised? It's a hard decision that you have to make, but look at your neighbor and say, you're the only one that can make it. Let's go to verse number 11. It says, the decree that Nebuchadnezzar made where everybody was going to die. Listen, that decree also states... Um, I'm, I'm sorry, there were some religious rulers and leaders that come to Nebuchadnezzar and they basically start snitching. Look at your neighbor and say, snitches get stitches. They come running to Nebuchadnezzar and they're like, hey, there are some Jews out there that aren't um, believing what you said. And remember, you said that you were going to throw them in the furnace. You ever had that person on your job? Like, they don't got no managerial position and they're like, you late. Robert, you don't, you don't own the, 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 the store, sir. Well, I'm going to have to tell Mike, you snitch. You leave every day five minutes early, but you don't see me run into the, like, you know what I'm saying? So they're over here snitching on the people of God while they're trying to lay low. One of the easiest ways that you can tell that you're going in the direction of God is when people are trying to find a reason to get you in trouble. Okay, let me go back. Let me go back. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey, snitching, just like a snitch, just like a snitch, well, mommy said, if you don't let me play the game, I'm gonna, you're going to get a whooping. Don't do that if you're the younger, younger sibling. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be what? Thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. At this point in time, look at your neighbor and go like this. Say, all of Israel. Say, all the Jews. All the Jews are beginning to serve this golden statue except for three. The nation of Israel at this point is 4.5 million people strong. And the king is worried about three. Maybe you're actually more important than you think. Maybe that's why in the kingdom there are just some things that I actually desire to do, but I just don't do for the sake of the kingdom. I had a conversation with somebody like, well, you can drink, right? It says don't be a drunk. That's true if you want to become a five-year-old, but I understand that when God tells me not to do something, even if I desire to do it, it might be better that I don't do it for the person that's actually an alcoholic. Just because I have the, I don't know who that word is for. Just because I have the strength to not do something doesn't mean I should do it because sometimes my example will cause somebody else to fall. I think there was this guy in the Bible, uh, what's his name? Oh, right, Paul. He said, if eating meat makes you fall away, it's not that I ain't going to eat meat. I'm just going to eat meat in front of you. You hear me? We in the land of steak, baby. I'm sorry. When we start to take this step towards living in the kingdom, 
we stop looking at the list of things that we can't do, and we start looking at this list of things that we have access to. Religion has you wrapped up in, the, in this, this conversation of what you can do. Can I drink? Can I sleep with the person? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I touch this? Can I go over there? Oh, I can. I can't. I can't. And now you're living your life up and down trying to figure out what you can and you can't do. And that you think that you're getting freedom, but that's actually bondage. The kingdom is set up for you to look on a chart and begin knocking down principalities and things that aren't working. I don't care about what I don't, what I can't do. My question is now that I've been born again, what can I actually take care of? But if I get you wrapped up in this little thing called sin, if I get you wrapped up in this little thing called anxiety, I'm not calling your anxiety small. I'm just saying when it comes to the kingdom of God, how we deal with this is unimportant to God. But you need to go and talk to somebody. I want to make sure. Don't think like, oh, I'm tossing the pills. No, sir. You need those. Make sure you have a counselor and another psychiatrist, right? Okay. I don't know who that person is, but I felt them pulling. Like, oh, I'm done. No, sir. God's not worried about the things that you can't do. He wants you to look at the things that you can do and run and chase that. Then Nebuchadnezzar did what? He flew into a rage over three people. You have 4.5 million people following you. Why are you upset with only three? This is the reason why you and the kingdom don't get away with anything. This is why conviction follows you. This is why other people can dibble and dabble and stuff, and it seems like nothing happens to you, to them, but the minute you touch it, God is like, what are you doing? You look at your neighbor and say, it's because you're different. So can we just get over your difference? You can't drink. I'm sorry. You can't. You can't smoke. You can't sleep with whoever you want to, and I know you want to. Tr trust me. But if you want to be effective in the kingdom, you got to throw away the childish games. You can't do both. Look at your neighbor and say, if you want to be effective, scream at them. Grow up. Nebuchadnezzar, he flew into a rage in order that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, though, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I love how he says all their names every time. There is a point in your life where whoever is chastising you, they know your name. Oh, they know who you are. They know how strong you are. They know about the God on the inside of you. And they know, yes, I might have 4.5 million people following you, following me. But if I can get you to believe it, I can get the whole world. If you, if you bow down to this thing, oh, I'm, oh, we in the game. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. Because the one way that we can get Christians to bend their knees the quickest is through music. But I digress. Uh, we'll talk about that next worship month. Somebody say, yeah. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into what? The burning furnace. And then... What God will be able to rescue you from power? I want you to write this down. In order, for you to, in order for you to make change, you have to be put in position. In order for you to be put in position, you have to be persecuted. In order for you to be persecuted, you have to believe something that is the opposite of what everybody else is believing. 
One more time. In order to make change, you have to be put into position. In order to be put into position, you, somebody say, have to be. You have to be persecuted. Stop thinking that you can chase what God told you to chase and that everybody's going to love you. Nobody loved Jesus until he was hanging up on the cross and, and the ground split up. So why do you think that when you told everybody that you and your family are locking in for 2021, that everybody was going to jump on the family wagon? No. Maybe a real good sign that you're actually following God is that you have no support. That's a good one, wasn't it? Maybe one of the clearest and the surefire signs that God is with you is when you feel alone. Okay, they'll, they'll get it when they get home. In order to be in position, you must be persecuted. And in order to be persecuted, you have to believe something that is counterculture. The kingdom of God is counterculture. It goes against the grain of every other religious group that you will ever hear. That's the reason why we do not preach about a piece of wood called the cross, because that's all that it was. You do not go to Sonic and worship the spatula. You worship that all beef pet. Sweetheart, that's where we're going today. I just figured it out. I just figured it out. Glory. <laughs> you worship it by enjoying the benefits. You don't go to Disney World and look at the castle and be like, on the outside in the parking lot. Somebody say in the parking lot. You don't spend $1,500 for your entire family just to get into the park. I ain't talking about flight, Airbnb, food. I ain't. Like it's an experience. You should indulge, right? You don't go sit in the parking lot and say, wow. Y'all see that? It's pretty, isn't it? I want a Mickey in there. All right, let's go. And drive off. What do you do? You get your happy behind out the car. You grab your beautiful, bodacious wife's hand. You grab your kid's hand and you do what? You enjoy everything. Religion has you worship a piece of wood. The kingdom has you actually live a life of freedom. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand, I'd rather be persecuted and not worship this piece of gold and have freedom and have rocks thrown at me, but I have my faith in Christ. If I can get you to fall in love with a piece of wood, I can make you forget about the person that died on it. Let me get back to the word. I'm... I'm, I'm in order to make a change, you have to be put into position. In order to be put in position, you must be persecuted. In order to be persecuted, you have to believe something that is counterculture. You ready? Point number four. Difficult decisions are always easier to make when you've already had your mind made up. In this trek, we have to understand something. It says that Nebuchadnezzar built the statue and that there was a period of time where they didn't know where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, right? So that means that there was a period of time where they were literally doing what they were supposed to be doing and Nebuchadnezzar's trying to find them. That means that in that time, before Nebuchadnezzar came to them and demanded that they worship the statue, they already made up in their mind that they weren't. I want you to understand something. 
If you wait until you're promoted to make your mind up about God, it will be difficult to choose between what they are offering and what your God is trying to give you. If you are so hungry for the promotion, you're so hungry for this opportunity, which we love that you're, you're wanting to provide for your family. But then the promotion gives you an option to make more money, but you work on Sunday morning. But you made a promise to your family on December 31st at 12.01, which would be January 1st. 2021, we're going to church and we're making this thing happen. If you have not made up your mind of who you're going to serve, when options show up, it'll be difficult. One of the biggest reasons why it's hard for you to make decisions when stuff comes in and steps in front of God is because you never made up your mind. What that says God to God is, God, I'll follow you. But if another house with another thousand square feet comes and a pool, I'd rather swim on Sunday morning than show up to the place that gave me the skills to get the house. Your mind wasn't made up. We'll do all the different things in order to get the prize. And then once we get the prize, we worship the prize and not the person that presented it to us. What did I say, point number four? Difficult decisions are always easier to make when your mind is already made up. We should actually add a part here. Difficult decisions are always easier to make when you've taken the time to make up your mind before the options present themselves. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. The minute that Nebuchadnezzar asked them, hey, are you going to worship this, 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 uh, this gold statue? They don't even converse with dude. They, like, they don't even let him, they don't even let breath happen. Look at your Bible. There ain't no indentation. It says immediately after he says, are you going to worship this statue? They say, oh, oh Nebuchadnezzar, <clears throat> hold up, please. Message, sir. <laughs> uh, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are so cold. They say, all the other people say the God before me. They're like, listen, we ain't got to defend God in front of you. Just throw us in the furnace, bro. Like, doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter what you give me. Doesn't matter how you put, like, let's just get it over with. Just throw me in the fire so I can prove how dope my God is and I can get on with my life. There's a point in your life where pornography can't get you. When you're looking at your computer and you're like, like, shut up. There's a point when you're looking at the bottle and you're just like, okay, like you're trying to get me again. I already recognize this. Just, just let's just walk through this point of life so I can get back to what I'm trying to do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand something. Religion explains God. The kingdom just opens the cage and let the lion do what he needs to do. That's why I have this really big issue with apologetics. Apologetics is the study. You need to learn it so that when somebody asks you the hard questions, you know, that you can defend the faith, but you don't need to defend God. How would you do it? What, what weapon would you choose? What war tactic would you use to defend God? Tell me. Religion tells you to talk to the thing that tempts you. The kingdom tells you to kill it the minute it shows up. The problem with Eve, glory to God. The problem with Eve wasn't Satan. Satan was already there before she even got there. Which means that when God created man, 
he already knew that there was going to be some temptation there. The problem isn't that Satan was there. The problem was that Eve had a conversation. There is some stuff in your life, please zoom in. You need to stop having conversations with it. And the minute it shows its head, you need to call all the homies. Hey, bro, pornography just showed up again, bro. We got to jump this thing. Addiction just showed up. Hey, I need you to meet me right now and cut its head off. And everywhere you see it, just kill it. Every, 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 everywhere, everywhere you see it, kill it. Everywhere you see it, kill it. Everywhere you see it, kill it. And then you'll get to the point where as you're killing it in your life, when you see it pop up in other people's life, you're like, hey, see, I don't know what that was. But I don't, I don't know what that was, but uh, huh, whoo, whoa, I, don't, whoo, I don't know what that was, but I used to be bound in that. And if you're going to be around me, you can't be doing that. That's why in the kingdom, you got to have friends that don't dibble and dabble in the stuff you're trying to kill. Somebody shout glory. Me and my family trying to save a million dollars in 10 years. We can't be going on vacations every week. And then they disguise it as a good time. Girl, you deserve this trip. No, I don't. I deserve my own business that provides me six streams of income. I can't go to Aruba. Stop inviting me to stuff. If you knew what God put on my life, you'd stop asking me to go certain places. Look at your neighbor and say, kill it. Like... Nebuchadnezzar, please, why are you trying to talk to me about a piece of gold? I've already made up my mind. Well, I'll give you cows on a thousand hills. My God's city is paved with gold. Like what, what, you can't, you can't, you can't buy me. Sis, I know he's sexy. I get it. I get it, sir. I know she's fine. Trust me. I married the right one, and there was lust that was there before we got married. So don't play this game like people that go through premarital classes. You're good. No, there's still some stuff you got to kill. Okay? But is it worth? Is the praise of man worth the persecution of God? Is it, is it worth it? Is the job so worth it, sir, that your ear is closed to the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life? Is the house, it's only 3,000 more square feet. Like, so some people are like, that's a, that's a lot of house. But is it worth your soul? Look at your neighbor say, make your mind up before you get there. Glory to God. Make your mind up before you get there. Because if you don't make your mind up before you get there, the stuff that you already know that's going to happen in between where you are and where you're going, it's going to happen. But then you'll begin to use that as an excuse to say that God didn't send you. David was told that he was going to be made king. He never knew that there was going to be a Goliath. But when he saw Goliath, he realized something. If I'm not king, that means i got to kill this. Let me speak a word of encouragement over your life right now. If God told you what the end of the story was going to be and you and your family are in a season of disagreement, beat that right now because you're not where you're supposed to be yet. What that means is, in layman's terms is, is that if you have not been delivered to what God has told you to where you're going to be, where you are is necessary. 
It's one thing to choose God in your prayer closet, but the question is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will you choose me in front of a king that can take your life? You can pray all you want. You can do this called church all you want. But when you walk into your business and the businessman asks you to take a position there that takes you away from your family, will you choose your family? Let's, let's go back. I'm sorry. Let's go back. If you wait until you're promoted to make up your mind about God, it will be difficult to choose between what they're offering and what God has given you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sorry, tangent. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, judge. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. <laughs> They're disrespectful with it, isn't it? <laughs> isn't, that, <laughs> isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? My God will take care of me. Oh, your, your majesty. You being the king has nothing to do with my God, so I'll give you that. And if you fire me, I'll find another job. It's okay. Maybe the threat of why your business is trying to get you out of there is because God tried to get you out of there a while ago. Let's get back to the word. Your majesty. Somebody say your majesty. But even if he doesn't, this is how convicted they are. This is, their mind's already made up. They say, even if you throw us in that boy, and we want to make it clear to you, uh, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods. We're never going to worship the gold, no matter how sick the 808 beat is. We're not going to worship your gold statue you have set up. Sometimes this is what, like, maturity in the kingdom is. is when you do the right thing even though there's no reward. Because religion begins to paint this picture that you do things for the reward. And then we end up doing Padlov's experiment. You know, like every time they rung the bell, they would give the dogs a treat and they'd ring the bell, give the dogs a treat. And then it got to the point where they'd ring the bell and the dog's mouths would start like salivating. They start, you know, spit would come in their mouth because they're like, kind of like before Thanksgiving when you start smelling biscuits. Oh, man, it's about to happen, right? And then they started to realize something. We never have to give them a reward if we start to train their palate. Religion trains your palate to look for things that can't fill your stomach. That's why you can get promotion after promotion after promotion, have money, and you can sleep with whoever you want, and you can inject whatever you want, and you still aren't full. Because without the kingdom, you will never be satisfied. It's not possible. Religion is empty calories. The kingdom is what you need to sustain your life. No matter what you do, Nebuchadnezzar, even if you throw me in there and I die, God's still going to get the glory. That's just how he works. He just gets, someone's screaming, he just gets the glory. But you have cancer. I don't, he gets the glory? I don't know. Well, what if he doesn't save you from cancer? I'm not really worried about. That's why the people of AWC are so different. We have people in this organization that are dealing with stage four cancer and they're still living their lives. And guess what? They're in this room right now but they're not going to allow you to pity what you think is on them. Maybe it's something that God is having them walk through to teach you that what you're dealing with is not as bad as you think it is. Okay. The reason why you look at the family here in this church that you know their marriage is struggling, but guess what? They keep showing up. That should prove to you maybe this thing called the kingdom is actually worth doing so that we can actually run to freedom. Somebody say run to freedom. Point number five. Look at your neighbor and say, you were built for the pressures of the middle. I feel this thing so tough. 
You were built for the middle. You were built for the storm that Jesus slept through. You were built for the middle of the desert. You were built for the famine that Joseph went through. You were built for the lust that David went through. Not just the lust, but to beat whatever sickness and sin that you have in your life. You were built. You were built to be on the cross in agony just like Jesus, but still say, nevertheless. You were built to be like Job in sickness, to look at everything around you, to rip your robe and sit and say, God, look, you took my wife. Well, I wish you would have taken my wife because she's crazy. Isn't that interesting that God took everything but Job's wife? Took his kids, took his cattle, took everything but his wife. That's tough. But Job said what? Like, you got to go somewhere else because... In the time that I spend explaining to you how good God is, it might be proven to God that I don't trust him. God's probably like, why are you explaining to people how great I am? I thought you knew. It's not about you explaining it to people. It's about you knowing. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's not about you explaining it. It's about you knowing. Look at your neighbor and say, I was built for the middle. For, for some of us, we think that the lights and the stage and the iPad, that this is where things happen. So we think that where it's safe is here. There's nothing around me. Everything's good. Children getting fat because they're eating seven times a day. The grass is growing. Everything is great, right? Somebody say teach. But what God has called you to isn't up here where you think you're safe. But it's actually right in the middle. Can I sit here? It's right in the middle of other people's opinions and their, and their thoughts. It's in the middle of the money that you could make. It's in the middle of the sickness that you think is going to take you out, but God's looking at your heart posture of how you're going to go through it. And we can begin to think, God, why have you left me? Why would you sit me next to these people I don't know? Like, why, why, why aren't you with me? And God has said something very specific. What are you, what are you whining about? I built you for this. You think I told Jesus that when he was going to give his life, that he was going to give his life for people that loved him? They spit on him. They, they ripped his beard out of his face. They pierced him in his side. They, they whipped him with a cat of nine tails. You think, you, you, you think that I've sent you into something just to be small? I thought I, was, I thought I was God. I thought I did, I thought I did the impossible with the person that was persecuted. I thought, I thought I did the impossible with the person that everybody else said wasn't going to make it happen. I thought that I did the impossible with the person that everybody thought was a liar. Like, am I not, am I not God? And we'll begin to try to take our seat out of the middle and we'll fight with God. God, it would be so much easier if I could just. And God's saying, you can't take the seat with you. You either have to abandon it and live outside of my will or make a decision. You know what, God? Get on. What is it? What is it? What, what, what do you have for me? Because evidently, my life won't progress past me sitting in this seat. So maybe what that means, AWC, is that the thing that you keep trying to run away from, 
The reason why it keeps coming back in cycles is because God keeps sitting you back in the seat. This is the point of your life in the kingdom that God wants you to understand. When he places your seat in the situation that seems scary, will you sit? They're throwing rocks at you. They're laughing at you. I know. Single mom. No. What would she do with these kids? Persecution. You're in the right place. You're, You're in the right place. Jesus was killed, so if you're not dead yet, you're, you're in good company. And God wants to know, if Joseph, would have left, if Joseph would have left during the seven years of famine, an entire country would have died. If David wouldn't have killed Goliath, you would be in bondage, Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you weren't worshiping me as the God, Nebuchadnezzar would have never promoted you. So now that you're here in this fiery furnace, are you going to take the seat and trust me as God? Or are you going to bow to something that can't supply you for your life? And this is what our lives look like. Thousands of situations in our lives where God sent us to, but we never showed up. This is the reason why people don't trust religion. This is the reason why people don't trust God. It's not because of God. Glory to God. It's because people that were sent to specific issues never showed up. You didn't show up. It's the reason why you can't skip Thanksgiving because your family's toxic. You need to show up. I can't stand this office. If you don't show up, nothing will change. I can't stand my wife. We're ready for a divorce. If you get a divorce, a lot of people are going to be hurt, sir. A lot of people are going to be hurt. Sit down and take what you asked for, and God will supply you with what you need. Somebody stand to your feet and say, take a seat. Stop running from everything. Everything. Everything? Everything is scary. Everything. Look at your neighbor and say, everything. The slightest point of inconvenience. You run. Yes, you lost $1,000 in this investment. That's how money works. People that you think are living on top have lost more money than they've actually made. If I got a million dollars in my pocket, I've lost about 10 or 15 trying to get to this point. And all God wants to know is that I've literally created the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the furnace is actually your seat. It's not your death sentence. Take a seat. Let me finish this real quick. Let me, take, a seat, take a seat. Take a seat. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If this is good, clap once. That his face became distorted with rage, right? He gets upset with them. He commanded that the furnaces be heated how many times? Seven times. Not understanding that seven is the number of completion. How could we be this linked? In this moment, it has to be God. Seven is the perfect moment, number. Because remember the sermon I taught last week about rest and being patient? Seven declares rest. So the furnace that Nebuchadnezzar thought was going to consume them actually created a place for them to rest. Okay, okay, I'm I'm trying, okay. What people think is going to take you out is actually the perfect stage for God to prove that he's God. 
God, I love your word. So good. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Isn't that overkill? Like you fixing to throw them in a furnace that's used to melt gold. Why did you need yoked up brothers, like six rocks, like just diesel? Why do you need them? Maybe because Nebuchadnezzar knew. The boldness on the inside of them is saying something that maybe I don't know. Maybe if you showed up to some situations just with boldness, that's all it would take. Maybe you don't have to prepare anything. You don't have to put the numbers together. You don't have to create a slideshow. You ain't got to create no presentation. Maybe if you just showed up. Why are you here, Joshua? God sent me. That's all I got. So what is it? And as you're there, the Holy Spirit will begin to download things in your head. And you'll start talking. Well, the, well the, the, the projected numbers of this next quarter actually means that the dividend of last year, we're actually going to cut that in half. And what we're going to do with those numbers is that we're going to become even more lucrative in this next quarter. And then they'll say, we'll take the deal. And you're sitting there like, huh? All God wants you to do is to show up. I don't want you to take nothing with you. Just show up. You keep trying to figure out all of your talking points for your big family meeting. Just show up. Well, when I show up, I'm going to tell my dad this, I'm going to tell my sister this, and then my cousin, I'm going to let her know this, 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 and this. And it's just like you have this plan of how you're going to knock everybody down, but you don't allow God to build you up before you walk in. Why are you here, sis? I don't know. I just know that I need to be, I need to be here. Do you have anything to say? I really don't, but I'm, I'm just going to mediate. You can do more as an advocate for people than you can as a judge. So they tied them up and threw them in the furnace for what? Fully dressed in their pants, their turbans, their robes, and their garments. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they were Jewish, means that they had on all of their priestly garb while they were ruling in Babylon. So that means that they had on a prayer shawl when they got thrown in the furnace. Where do you go to pray? A place that is dark, that nobody can get to you. And who do you take in that place of prayer? People that know how to pray with you. So Nebuchadnezzar hasn't just thrown them into what he thinks is a furnace. He's actually just thrown them into a, a, a prayer closet 2.0. Okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have never seen fire. The only fire they have ever heard of is the fire that came down like a pillar. And the fire that didn't consume the bush. So when Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw you in the fire, maybe they said, oh, fire means God. Cool, throw us in the furnace. That's the reason why the people at your job think you're crazy. You're going to take that job? Don't you see all the objectives? Maybe in the kingdom, we look at fire and don't think we're going to get burnt. We see God in it. So whenever I smell smoke, oh, that must be the Lord. Okay, so that's where... That's why in the kingdom, we run into burning buildings where people are being consumed by sin. I know, oh, if, if fire is there, God has to be there. Maybe, maybe, that's how, maybe that's why they weren't afraid. Oh, there's fire in there? Yeah, I'll, throw, throw me in. Please. It's like Br'er Rabbit. Oh, I don't want to go in the Br'er Patch. Please don't throw me in the Br'er Patch. Oh, God, please don't throw me in the Br'er Patch. 
but you were consumed in fire because that's who God is. So they tied them up and they had their robes on, their prayer shawls. They're like, you're throwing us into an amazing prayer place. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, read this with me, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. The reason why the situation around you is so hot is so that some people can't stand to be close to you. That's the reason why people don't want to be friends with you. It's because if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. But I believe in a lot of your people's lives right now, that thermostat is, is beginning to rise. It's getting hotter around you because what other people think is about to consume you is actually about to refine you. Somebody say refiner's fire. The flames killed the soldiers and they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Point number six, the help you are looking for is waiting for you in the middle of what you're running away from. But suddenly, somebody say suddenly. That might be our word for next year, man, suddenly. I think some suddenlies are fixing to happen. Some stuff you've been praying about, it's just going to suddenly, you're going to wake up and be like, oh, we're free. This is nice. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, time out. Didn't we tie up? Hold up. Woo. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. One. Didn't we throw up three of them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. God, I don't have time. Four men, unbound, walking around. In the, un, in the fire unharmed. I'm going to have to, ooh, we, we have unboxed. We, we don't have unboxed this week. I'm going I'm to I'm teach this at some point in time. Unbound, walking around, fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Time out. Wait a minute. So I just had this conversation with three boys that weren't going to bend their knee. Okay, check. Told them to throw them in. Got the strong men. Diesel. Okay. They burnt up. Too hot. Okay. Shadrach, Michigan, Bendigo. Three. Okay, who's this fourth person? Chad, you remember throwing somebody in there? Shadrach, Meshach. Chris, you remember somebody else? Who's this fourth person? Did you put him in there? Did, did you put, don't, don't play with me, I'm trying to make a point. All these people, I'm a king. You, you. The reason why they couldn't find God in the fire because he is the fire. Because isn't it interesting that when he looks in, he sees, he sees four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. Unharmed. Meaning that now they have become one with the fire. Now what was supposed to destroy them, now they have become consumed by. The kingdom doesn't work until you allow it to consume every part of your life. If you do not allow the kingdom to consume every part of your life, you will get burnt every time. 
The reason why people get upset with the kingdom is because they haven't fully sold out to it. There's many different things. If you don't sell out to this thing, it's going to get you killed. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high. He flips his script. It changes now. Uh, uh, servants of the most high. <clears throat> servants of the most high. Come out. Please come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire, but the fourth person never left the fire. Which means that maybe in some of the situations that you're trying to find God, you actually have to run towards the smoke. God didn't come out of the fire. He stayed there. That's the reason why in situations where your life is hard, we don't pray that God deliver you from it. Because that's exactly where you need to be. Look at your neighbor and say, if it's getting hard, you need to play your part. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials, officers, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. And this is the part that I think is the blessing of your life. Somebody needs to raise both of your hands right now and receive this. And they didn't even smell like smoke. There is some stuff that you're in right now that when you walk out of it, you ain't even going to smell like what you were in. People going to look at you like, weren't you divorced? Weren't you heartbroken? I don't, I don't smell like it, do I? <laughs> weren't you addicted? Bro, you were like throwing up on yourself. You were so drunk. Yeah, I don't know who that is anymore. So I've been through the fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, this is my clothes. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Which means that if we display the kingdom, there shouldn't be a conversation. If your life speaks the glory of God, when people see you and you truly have rest, you don't have bags under your eyes because you're getting peace. When your money's doing what you want it to do, when your children look clean and prepped and they're together, when you walk into your job and you realize this is just a resource for me to do what God wants for me, when you go home after getting off of work and at 6 p.m. to 11 o'clock you're working on what God has really called you to be, when you walk into the hospital where your person is sick and you're not asking them to give the medicine, you lay your hands on them, people won't have to question if God is real. They'll see that he's real because you look like it. Give me strings, please. King Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. Read this. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Are you willing to die for the kingdom? And the death is not a physical one. We're not, I hope that you never have to be presented with that. But I hope if you ever do that we would be, I hope. If that ever happens, somebody put a gun to my head, profess Jesus or die. I hope I would have the courage. No, let's make up our mind. I'm making up my mind right now. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Kind of overkill still. He still, remember progression, not perfection, progression. You just watch somebody walk out of fire, you be kind of jacked up too. Oh, we're going to kill them all. This is the gut. No, chill out. We'll tear them limb from limb. 
and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Bruh, there was no other God who can rescue like this. Point number 30. Then the king did what? Hold on. Because they denied the statue before, what he promised them if they bowed down to it, now he's promising them because they didn't. There's some stuff that you're resisting that you see the reward and you're like, if I resist it, I'm not going to get it. If you stay in the middle long enough, the reward will go from the hand of the enemy to the hand of God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher positions in the province of Babylon. So here's the point. Some of you are sitting here in this room and you're sitting in the middle of some stuff. Trust me, I know. I'm, I'm, I know I'm only 28. I've only been married for a year. And if being married for a year has its levels of stress, if you've been married for 10, 15, 30, my hat goes off to you, even if it looks like it's limping and bleeding. You, 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 you're still here. This is what I want to do. Can you bring the lights down, please? There's a point in this story that I think is very important. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made up their, light, made up their minds that they were going to, they made up their mind that regardless of what comes, I'm just going to sit in the middle, right? So we're in this, um, this place with our family. Callie's about to graduate from, well, she graduated from law school. She takes the bar in a couple weeks. And um, yeah, two weeks. And it's interesting. Glory to God. Can I, can I tell y'all a story real quick? Uh, and me and my sister, I was talking to her on the phone. Callie, I hope you're watching because I'm about to share with you what happened. We're on the phone, and uh, we were on the phone, and the Holy Spirit just came out of nowhere. And I'm driving, and I stopped the car. And I'm talking to my sister, and we just started speaking in tongues. And uh, we were sitting there, and our conversation went from talking to, God, you're worthy. And it was just, it was, when you have these moments with, with God, they're no longer weird. And you just take them. It doesn't matter who's around. It doesn't matter who's around. And uh, we were talking to each other, and we were like, bro, you're dope. Like, what happened? Like, when did, we, when did we turn into these people that are, like, chasing God's goal, and we were purposed, and we know who we are? Like, we sat in the middle of a lot of stuff, but maybe this is, maybe this is where the door opens. Callie's been gone, going through hell with this school. Our family, like I mentioned, we've been in stuff that like, it'd be so much easier to quit. And I was talking to her. And Callie, because you didn't quit, you saved my life. Um, this church thing, it's difficult. It's hard. Not, not the teaching part. That's, that's not, not because it's easy, but I have them. I can just go and grab a scripture and he can teach me. But I watched my sister walk through the fiery furnace of racism as she's trying to get a degree to fight for the same people that hate her. I watched her come home Weekend after weekend, 
begging us, can I quit? I'm tired. It's hard. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I, I can't. I can't do this. They're putting book after book in front of me. <sighs> and we as a family. We corralled around her. I don't want you to think our family's better than yours because the same spirit is on yours. We laid our hands on her and the fire of God came and we didn't tell her that it wasn't hard. We didn't tell her you shouldn't quit because I want to quit. Every Monday I walk into the office, I'm like, God, why? (laughs) You know, we put our hands on her and we kept sending her back into the middle of a system that doesn't want her to win. Not that the teachers and the students didn't want her to win, but there was a spirit that was trying to say, you're gonna be the first lawyer in the family, so I gotta, I gotta try to get you to bow to something. And all my parents said to her was just come back home. When it gets too hard there, just come back home. Callie, I wanna make sure that you know, this is the largest stage I have in my life that my parents have given us. I am so proud of you. And it's not because of becoming a lawyer, because Callie went to school and I don't even know who she is now. She's like a totally different creature. But I think the same moment that I had with my sister, God wants to have with you this morning. Some of you, you wanna quit, I know. I know you wanna quit. I know you want to quit. I want to quit too sometimes. But my dad sent me and my family a message. What was it, Wednesday? He sent us a message and he said, uh, I know you want to quit. I know you want to give up. Just take another step. And as I'm watching this video, I'm like, Daddy, I can't. I'm tired. I don't, I'm done. I can't. There are more people against me than there are with me. I just feel like I'm fighting on every side. And I think the Holy Spirit is just saying, will you trust me in the middle of it? Like, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver you out of it. Will you trust me in it?